Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Each time the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey rolls around, agencies use all sorts of strategies to prod more employees to actually fill out the darn thing. The higher the response rate, the more accurate picture agencies get of their workforce attitudes. It's never easy, but a few agencies this year saw their efforts pay off. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman reports. Agencies get a ton of data and insights from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, or FEBS for short. Everything from engagement and morale levels in their workforce, to how satisfied employees feel in their jobs and with their pay, how they feel about agencies' top leadership, their supervisors, how well they think their teams are performing, and so much more. But what do we do with that data? Veronica Hinton asked that question of Chief Human Capital Officers, or Chicos, at a council meeting this week. Hinton is Associate Director for Workforce Policy and Innovation at the Office of Personnel Management. That's the agency in charge of administering the survey each year. But Hinton says collecting the data is only the start. Data is not engaging. Action with data is. And so OPM encourages agencies to share results and actions taken from these results with employees, demonstrating that leadership is listening and incorporating their feedback. And that feedback from employees is critical, Hinton says. Agencies should try to get their hands on as much as possible. The best way to do that? Create what's called a feedback loop. That means sharing the survey results with employees, finding weak points in the data, making changes based on that, and then to complete the loop, tell employees what changed in response to their feedback. Ultimately, that feedback loop ties back to how many employees take FEBS each year. The theory is if employees see changes being made as a result of their input, response rates tend to trend higher. For 2023, the results of FEBS seem very promising. Employee engagement is the highest it's been in years. One question in particular, which is usually one of the lowest scored items from employees government-wide, saw a 5% jump in positive responses. That question? It asks employees if they believe the results of the survey will be used to make their agency a better place to work. The upward trend is strong, but it was still less than half of survey respondents who felt positively about that. Similarly, the government-wide response rate for FEBS this year was 39%, a 4% increase over last year's rate. But it's important to remember that's an average. A few agencies had response rates nearly double that amount. Chico's at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Interior Department, and the Department of Homeland Security saw even bigger surges in their response rates. And all three of them used a very similar strategy, creating that solid feedback loop with employees. Understand why it's important for them to take it and how uh, we would use uh, the feedback that we received to improve things here. Give them an opportunity to actually talk to us, let us know what they're thinking, and then sharing back with them the things that we're doing. Proving to folks that if you speak, we're going to listen and then show them what happened, show them the impact. That last voice is Lori Michalski. She's Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD for short. This year, her agency had 71% of its employees respond to FEVs when it was out in the field this past spring. That's significantly above the 39% government-wide average, but the high level of responses wasn't without major efforts from the department. One of the areas that we really focus on is the I believe, right? And that I believe that the results of this survey really are going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've really been building on for the last few years. Michalski says that she views Feb scores not as numbers, but as what she calls impact indicators. She uses the data to pull out trends, analyze it, and find where she can make a difference. We really focused on implementing the You Spoke, We Listened, This Happened campaign. So reviewing the results of the surveys in 2021, 2022, 
and identifying focus areas where we could actually focus on that impact. Michalski says, for example, HUD saw a pattern in its FEVS results over the last few years for employees who were concerned over wellness. Many were calling for more activities at work that could improve mental health and wellness. In response, HUD launched a wellness corner to offer some of those opportunities to employees. After making the change based on that feedback, Michalski says there's one more step in the process. We shared that success and those impacts of the voices that we heard with all of our employees. At the Department of Interior, the situation is a little bit different. One of the biggest barriers to improving response rates at FEVS is how dispersed that workforce is. Interior has about 70,000 employees, but they operate all across the country. Mark Green is the agency's chief human capital officer. We have uh, many people that are in these rural and remote communities and areas. Um, I think a lot of uh, the difference is we have many of our folks deliver their work uh, in office settings, but we have a large part of our workforce that goes out in the field, out on the land, uh, outside every day. And so they're not really in a in an office. So that's a, that brings challenges of itself. Green says he used a FEVS communication guide from OPM to help interior supervisors and managers figure out a strategy to spread the word and encourage more employees to take the survey. The department also set up a web page to offer more information about FEVS to employees and create a clear message of why taking the survey was important. And that message goes all the way to the top. Green says that Interior Secretary Deb Holland really helped us with that uh, senior leader emphasis that cascaded down through all leaders from her level all the way down to our first line supervisors to ensure that the expectation was clear that we would have our leaders at every level make sure that uh, employees had the opportunity to take the FEVs while they were on duty and those type things. And to try to boost participation even further, Interior set up an incentive for employees to take the survey this year. Any individual bureau or office at the Interior Department that was able to increase participation in FEVs this year receives an additional two hours of administrative leave as a reward. And those efforts paid significant dividends. Interior got a 64% response rate in the 2023 FEVs, a massive jump from the department's 47% response rate last year. Like many other agencies, Interior also saw its engagement and satisfaction scores tick upward. On the other hand, the Department of Homeland Security is one agency that has struggled to improve its FEV scores. Historically, DHS has ranked at or near the bottom of the best places to work in the federal government rankings each year. But signs from the 2023 FEVs point in a more promising direction. Many of DHS's FEV scores increased by record levels this year. For 2023, DHS employees' engagement increased by three points. Job satisfaction jumped up by six points. That's three times the government-wide average increase for 2023. Roland Edwards, chief human capital officer at DHS, says the major improvements did not just happen by chance. We can't sit back and admire the problem. Um, This has been established as a priority for every DHS leader, uh, and we are supporting those efforts from the department level through an intensive series of focus groups, uh, getting our team out into the field, actually speaking directly to employees, getting the ground truth. And alongside those more positive results, DHS's response rate jumped from 36 to 44 percent in just one year. Edwards says that the department is focused on speaking directly to employees, often through focus groups and conducting pulse surveys throughout the year. DHS also created a clear three-part framework to try to address the needs of department employees. That's basic needs, confidence, and recognition. 
how are we ensuring that the guidance and communications that we're putting out to our employees resonate and they, they're getting clear direction? And then how are we recognizing our employees for a job well done um, for a really dedicated, hardworking workforce? And maybe most importantly, one effort Edwards says he's especially proud of is DHS's new jump teams. These teams are composed of experts across headquarters and component offices at DHS, and they visit field locations across the country to hear directly from employees and figure out ways to resolve specific issues in resources, IT, fleet management, facilities, and much more. Oftentimes, these are things that could be long-standing, and sometimes they are simple resolutions. Sometimes they're a little bit more long-term, and they require more effort to fix. But that's been amazingly helpful. Drew Friedman, Federal News Network. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance 
And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm gonna go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I wanna hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this 
particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce, because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, 
thinking about, can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life, and I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.